Good morning. It's Saturday, December 5th, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail. Welcome to a December to remember, Ashley. Dear God, Michael, why do we have to remember this one? Because maybe it's the last month of hashtag so over 2020, whatever people want to say. And Michael, I'm living in fear, but... Look, I think we all know what's going to happen. We're going to wake up on January 1st and we're going to be in a new year. But we're going to be in the same mess that we've been in. I love that like, you are the biggest grouchy groucher. You know it. It's not my fault. I'm on one of these crazy fasting diets because I overindulged during Thanksgiving weekend. So I'm subsisting on 800 calories a day, which uh, I hope my mother doesn't hear this because she's going to call me about it. But um, yeah, so I'm not in a, I'm not peak Ashley right now. I'm doing my best though. I'm going to try to snap it up for this. You would be hard pressed to fool me that you're not peak Ashley. I haven't seen you in weeks. You're still at your peak, but (laughs) what, what, what is 800 calories? Give me a visual. Is it like some sawdust and some chicken feed or what do you got? It's basically like powdered soups and like a breakfast protein bar. It's really pathetic. It's called Prolon. Have you ever heard of this thing? Thomas Keller does it. Okay. And if it's good enough for Thomas, it's good enough for me. It's called Prolon? It's called Prolon. It was developed by USC's Longevity Institute. How about Soylent Green? You you want to take Soylent Green too? (laughs) Okay. It's a bad idea. Nobody do it. It's really disordered eating, (laughs) but I can't help it because my clothes don't fit. Sorry. Well, it's the beauty of radio or podcasting, whatever it is, right? Thank we don't God have to for get podcasting. Ready. I can do it here with my muffin top and everyone's happy, right? Oh, please, Michael. You have no muffin top. All right. Moving on. Oh, by the way, we got to give a shout out to uh, some good fashion news. Our buddy Michael Bastian is over at Brooks Brothers now. I'm so excited about this. Very excited. My fellow menswear god and a resident of on 11th street here fellow jeans restaurant aficionado um yeah he we were texting yesterday congratulating him uh, brooke and i and so setting up a lunch or dinner at jeans to celebrate so well earned well deserved super excited to see what michael does uh taking over as creative global creative director of of, of brooks brothers such an iconic brand well that's one piece of good news michael we have a little optimism for you all today okay grinch we've got a great show based on a great issue. This this week's issue, we've got a really fun, uh, unbelievable story out of London right now and how people are living and divorcing there. Got a very great piece and, and uh, guest this week, Graydon Carter, our co-editor, talking about what's next for Donald Trump. And we've got a sort of holiday theme piece talking to Carl Hulse uh, about his strange addiction to a certain kind of holiday movie. What more could you want in life, Michael? It's all here. What more I'd like is for you to have more than 800 calories. I'm on it soon. By the way, guess what I got in the mail today? I don't know what. A package of banana bread from your mother. Now, I haven't eaten any of this yet because I'm still starving myself in the name of denim. But my daughter has had half the loaf and she said, it's not good, mom. It's not great. It's excellent. So there we go. We've got an endorsement. I highly recommend any of Michael's friends that are listening to this, try to get in on the Barbara banana bread action. It will change your life. Let's just take ourselves over to the United Kingdom for a minute because we have to talk about this hysterical story in the new issue of Airmail about uh, the crystal healing situation in London. Yes, uh, crystal blue unpersuasion, as I might call it. (laughs) A great piece by Carol Woolton, and it's about how there is a growing trend among some of the very wealthy in London, arranged divorces in which men, and it's almost always men, she says, hire new age go-betweens to relay the bad news 
uh, to their wives and spare themselves the scenes, the distress, the guilt, and, and sort of they're known as now private equity divorces where these um, men, these high flyers of finance who are used to firing people at a safe distance are now hiring these women who come in with crystals, these crystal healers who look around the house and then sort of gently tell the wife who ought to be the former wife that it's just not working out and it's not really the two of you. It's really just sort of like the energy within the house, right? And and there's that the husband wants to be on a new spiritual path to find his authentic self, right? This is such garbage, honestly, but like way to outsource, gentlemen. <laughs> you guys are walking into the crosshairs of Grinchy Ashley right now. Sorry. I mean, I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I, people that we know, love and respect believe in this stuff. I don't happen to myself personally. Like, Michael, at this point in the year, I don't know if I believe in the basic good of humanity. Okay. So like the notion that a crystal holds the key to my future, I just doesn't sit well for me. Sorry. Yeah, it's sort of like what's fascinating about Carol's piece is it's not just that these guys, these these sort of titans of 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 the money world are using this to sort of break up with their wives, but they're also sort of like it's like Marianne Williamson meet, meets Bonfire of the Vanities. It's like Bonfire of the Crystals now, where these guys she says one London's banker one London banker's boardroom conceals crystals within the floorboards and walls, which he collected from Tintagel Castle. You know where I like my crystals, Michael? I like them in a good piece of jewelry, okay? Verdura earrings would be fine. Uh, also something from, uh, you know, the good people at Jar, maybe a little, you know, whatever. Look, you guys know for the holiday season, that's an easy way to put me in a better mood and bring you a more optimistic edition of Morning Meeting. Anyway, I love the idea that like clever dudes have appropriated our, you know, our general weakness for this kind of stuff and turned it into a way to divorce their wives without actually having to say, hey, I want a divorce. I mean, it's a, it's a thing of beauty, really. It sounds very goop, too. Can't you just sort of see this in an episode of The Goop Show? It's a version of, like I said, it's not, it's not you, honey, it's me, but it's not, it's not me, honey, it's the energy in, in, in our relationship, right? And then everyone's scot-free then. Yeah, it's like you can pretty much tell, like, if you're if you're heading towards divorce, the energy is going to be bad no matter how you slice it. Right. Like, yeah. is it the energy's fault or is it the fact that you guys just don't get along anymore? And that creates a bad energy. Huh. Very convenient. Anyway, moving right along. Speaking of good energy, thank God we have the master of all good energy on the show today. Our boss, our spiritual leader, our guru, the one and only Graydon Carter. All right. Well, Graydon, thank you so much for joining us. We're here to talk about the most important state in the union, Florida. Hey, first of all, it's really nice to join you guys. I feel like I'm joining the uh, the Jinx Falkenberg and Tex McCrary of the uh, of the podcast set. <laughs> people can look that up, but no, it's <laughs> we'll have audio footnotes for that later. Well, Graydon, I mean, look, you've got a great view from here this week about Trump and his enablers and his Florida bolt hole and where he goes. I mean, the news this week is already, you know, he's talking about pardoning himself, pardoning the kids, pardoning Rudy Giuliani, you know, Bill Barr. Pardoning us. Well, I mean, he might as well pardon everybody while he's at it. But Bill Barr just said there's no evidence that the election was corrupt. Where does it all end? I mean, your piece this week gets, gets at that, like the sort of end game for Donald Trump, right? Well, it's funny, you know, back in the spy magazine days, we predicted what Donald Trump's future would be. And it ended sort of badly. And I have a feeling this won't end as badly as some people would like to. You know, if he's operating out of Florida, 
he'll be around his own kind. It, it sort of become the, uh, I'd say, the, the Paraguay of America, you know, Paraguay being the place where the Nazis went after the Second World War. And after the, you know, the junk bond crisis and the, uh, the financial crises of the 80s, a lot of those guys settled into Florida, in large part because of the homestead law. So they, even if they declared bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose their homes. But the, the attraction of, I guess, golf which, uh, and uh, nice weather and low taxes and other sort of people like them has attracted people from the, the Trump administration. Well, it's as usual, you've got the, the great turns of phrases. As you said, Florida, it's the one sunny redoubt in America where the non grata, like the Trumps and their allies, can feel somewhat grata. Yeah, I don't think they're going to feel like, like outliers the way they would anywhere in New York. I think it's been very tough for his children. I can't imagine them ever being able to operate anywhere uh, outside of the Trump organization. You know, when people call it a criminal, a criminal organization, the fact that he's called his business the Trump organization sounds like a criminal enterprise. You can't name another company where the person has has named it this way. And it sounds as if like Frank Nitty was going into business. He called it the Frank Nitti organization. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, he's going to walk out the door with a lot of money because, you know, he can't leave a penny on the table. Just this, this, this fundraising they've done since the election, that $170 million or whatever it is that they've raised, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it's from small uh, donations. And he will use that to, you know, buy fun, uh, uh, paintings of himself and fund his lifestyle and, fly around. And, you know, I personally don't understand the the pardon system in America. I never have. And uh, it's the only sort of civilized country that has something like this where, you know, a president going out the door can, you know, pardon people for crimes. And usually it's done responsibly, but like handling with your family and your, your personal lawyer, it takes it to a different level. The one thing is, is that, you know, to, to pardon somebody, you have to go into some detail of what you're parting them for. So once that's down on paper, it basically gives journalists a paper trail to what they did because they're not bound by the pardon system. They're, uh, they're bound to the First Amendment. And so they'll have a roadmap of where to go to search out what the, the Trump family members did while they were in office. Yeah, although then he's like, it, it, you know, he's toying with his language. It's almost like that, that rider you get in, in bad contracts. Any and all technologies yet to be invented. Now it's like any and all crimes yet to be discovered or whatever. It, you know, Trump is like the fine print of Viagra or Seattle. You see on the on the CBS Evening News. I'm just gonna let that line sit there for a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Green, what do you make of all of these d- DAs? You know that are pining to to get Trump for something. Do you do you think he's going to end up in jail? You think he's going to avoid it? I don't know whether he's going to end up in jail, but it's going to be he's going to spend the next four years not running for it in 2024, but just trying to keep himself out of jail. I mean, I know Cy Vance is you know he has got a and then building a case uh, uh, against him for a good while, as is the uh, New, York, uh, New York attorney for the Southern District. I think I have like 1,500 lawyers there, and they're all probably slightly furious with Trump because he's invaded their sovereignty so many times over the past four years. And what do you make of the fact that, you know, he does have $400 million in loans coming due over the next four years? Do you think he's going to be held accountable for that, given the, the state of the business? Well, if, if he mysteriously comes up with that $400 million, uh, I would think that would be a suspicious move and it would probably warrant some kind of investigation. Remember, I think you can pardon yourself for 
things that have happened in the past. You can't pardon yourself for things that will happen in the future. He's going to have to live, if he wants to stay out of trouble, live a law-abiding life from the moment that pardon is accepted. And I don't see that happening. Perhaps that's going to be the greatest achievement of his presidency after all. You know, he's scrambling to get the wall built, but he did manage to get everybody pardoned and keep his family out of jail. Well, also, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal, I guess, either today or last night, that there are reports of, of possible pardons in return for major donations. And I wouldn't have suspected that of any president. But in this case, you sort of think, well, that sounds like it probably could be true. Do you sense that any of the Trumps have a future in politics? Well, I guess they, you know, they talk about Donald Trump Jr. And, you know, I think he is a, a real dim bulb and he may be appealed to the hard right hook and bullet cr- crowd with his, uh, his uh, you know, his hunting. And, but I think that I don't see them getting any further than the real you know, dark corners of the right wing. The fact is, like, there's a lot of nuts who follow Trump. And they and America's, they've always been there in American fabric. But the fact is, this is the Internet and Trump allows them to have a voice in the center of the room. They've usually all been off in the corners. But it's like if, if Walter Cronkite had broadcast this, uh, what they were saying every night in, in the 1960s and 70s, America hasn't changed. Just the form of communication for fringe elements has changed. They've sort of moved into the center. And that brings us to the Father Coughlin parallel that you draw in your piece. Um, I, w- I didn't recall that he had a following that was sort of akin to what Trump has in terms of scale. Bigger. I mean, Father Coughlin, yeah, he was... I mean, he was a, you know, a, a preacher. Unfortunately, he came from Canada, but he built up huge audience. Some they said it could be as much as 45 million people. This is at a time when America was a third the size that it is now. 10,000 letters a day came into the office, often with checks. He had 100 people just opening the mail. And he built up his base. I mean, he thought, like Trump, he thought he could get away with almost anything. He, was, he played on insecurities and fears and conspiracies. And, you know, at a certain point, the country shifted, especially after the invasion of the German invasion of Poland in 1939 and the uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. And all of a sudden, his views and that uh, his isolationist, anti-Semitic uh, 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 take on the world became very unpopular. The government wouldn't allow him to broadcast anymore. During the, during the wartime years, and the post office refused to distribute his magazine. And he gradually faded and retreated to this little church in, in, in Michigan to live out the, pretty much the rest of his life. And, and Trump, he may, I don't think Trump has the energy or the brains or the talent to start an, a news organization. You need somebody like Roger Ailes to get something like that off the ground. And, and Trump is no Roger Ailes. And say what you like about Roger. He was, he was a brilliant, brilliant television man. And so I think, you know, if, I think he's going to be spending so much time with lawyers. And that's not, a good, that's not a good way to spend your life, especially when they're defense lawyers. <laughs> so is it safe to say that you're riding with Biden? I think we should have hats made up that just say, they could be blue hats and big letters, TGFB. Thank God for Biden. You're in France now, Graydon. So presumably you've been, you know, not out and about as much as normal. But can you give us a sense of what people are talking about on the ground there about Biden and his election? What's the reaction been? Well, they they don't, you know, they probably know less about Biden than but they do know about Trump. And, 
you know, I think that, uh, first of all, I'm coming back in the middle of, of this month uh, to America uh, now that he's safely on his way out of the office, uh, out of office. But I think that, um, I think I think a lot of Europeans felt sorry for us. I was actually surprised how many people I that supported Trump, and that shocked me, that uh, uh, people who don't know America that much, and they're probably conservative here, but I think that he's wildly unpopular in the civilized pockets of the Western world. It, and his name doesn't come up that much. People tend to stay away from politics, at least down in this part of France. In the north part of France, it's all politics all the time, but it's Macron rather than Trump. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an opinion on Macron. What's yours? I like him because I'm an outsider here, and uh, he looks like an LVMH executive, also quite trim and like you know, crisp blue suit and a uh, proper amount of hair on his head and uh, nice looking. And uh, But I think he has a lot of people who don't like him. What do you make of the wife? I just have to ask. What? <laughs> I've never seen her in, in real life, but I, th- I sort of admire her. You know, she like... I know, you know, she has wears her skirts really short. She wears a lot of Vuitton grade, and we do know that. I do know that, and she has them raised. The, I do know that she has them raised the dresses above the knee rather than below the knee. And I think she, you know, she must be keeping him on 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 whatever path he's on. It's funny. We were having dinner with somebody who's a, a, a knows Macron very well, and he said, uh, you know, French presidents have traditionally had a a sort of a drop-in period after dinner or before dinner in the evening where friends and associates and, uh, you know, cabinet ministers and advisors would just drop in to chat about the day's events. And he said that, uh, that Macron doesn't have that. He doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of friends, which surprised me. He's operating mostly out of isolation, and I guess with Brigitte. Hmm. Speaking of wives, and we've talked a lot about Trump's post-office life, there's also a lot of speculation, as we even touched on in airmail, about Javanka and can they return to polite New York society and where they go? And what's your thoughts about where they go and, and what they, how they should be treated? Well, I, I, I know I can just speak for myself. If they were at a, if I got invited to somebody's house for dinner and I walked in and they were there, I'd just turn on my, even if it was a seated dinner, I would turn on my heel and leave. I don't think Anybody that I know would touch them with a barge pole. I think they, they're done in New York, and, and I don't think they can eat at restaurants. I think they'd have a rough time. I think that, you know, in places like Florida and certain quarters in New Jersey will be fine for them. And by the way, polite, I don't even know where polite society in New York is anymore. It's, and New York is, is uh, it's just it's very different, and I, but I, I don't see them fitting in at all. I hope my paths never cross with him. You know, back in the day when he, we, we did a story at Vanity Fair on Trump University, William D. Cohan did it. And in the middle of the reporting, I get a call from, <laughs> I thought this is just tragic. I got a call from Ivanka Trump and her father had asked her to call me and ask if we would lay off him. And I thought, that's the saddest, this is before he was president. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. He gets his then 29-year-old daughter to call me to go easy on the father. And I he should have picked up the phone himself. Well, Graydon, on behalf of New York City, we welcome you back. It's been too long. Oh, I'm looking forward to being back. Yeah, I'm going to restaurants, seeing friends. It'll be wonderful. There's nothing better than getting Graydon on the show. I mean, you would think that we, we probably should have him on every week. Yeah. I'm really stressed, by the way, about what to get Graydon for Christmas. How about some crystals? Oh, something tells me he would not like that. 
Maybe. No, probably not liking that. Well, Michael, sometimes the very best story ideas don't come from us. They come from people outside of our organization. So we have Maureen Dowd to thank for this one. Maureen passed along this juicy tidbit of information that Carl Hulse, who happens to be the Washington correspondent for the New York Times, has a secret shame. Let's get Carl on here because we really need to hear this from him in person. So, Carl, you've got a pretty serious day job, yeah? Some people would say so. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for the New York Times, but it is still journalism, so uh, I get a couple good laughs a day out of everything I cover, for sure. Well, which brings us to the subject of your beautiful essay for airmail, the Hallmark Holiday Movie. (laughs) I just want to say, you're in a safe place now. (laughs) You're among friends. You can talk about... What you reveal in this week's issue of Airmail, a, a certain affinity for, for something. We you tell the circle here what, you're, what you want to confess to? So, I mean, if this was a Hallmark's Anonymous meeting, I guess I would say, hello, my name is, is Carl, and I've been watching Hallmark Christmas movies for quite a while. Well, the, the holidays brings out strange behavior in all of us. Yeah, that's no, true. No doubt about it. couple questions. How many Hallmark Christmas movies have you, have you seen? Oh, you know, scores. Dozens? Oh, dozens. Yeah, I would say more than dozens. Yeah. Okay. I mean, although there's gotten to be so many. So what you so you have watched many of these, Carl. Yes, so yes. and as you say in your piece, but there's also a certain formula to them or a certain recurrence of themes. What are, can you just identify a few of those for us? Yeah, I mean the, that's the great thing about these movies. They are so formulaic. And I think part of the reason uh, some people like to watch them is because they really don't take a lot of bandwidth when you're watching. You know, it can definitely be playing somewhere and you go back to it and you know what's going to happen. But you have a couple of set themes. You have usually the very attractive young woman in the city frustrated in her job with her boyfriend or something. Maybe she's from there. There's a good chance she's actually from somewhere in the Midwest or weirdly Colorado. There's a lot of these movies that are set in Colorado. And uh, she flies back to rescue, uh, you know, the family ski lodge, the family cookie factory, the family toy factory, uh, maybe the family department store. She meets a guy also attractive who is probably part of a corporate behemoth that's going to take over and ruin whatever the family had, you know, the Christmas tree farm. And of course, uh, they butt heads, but they really like each other. Then they kind of have a misunderstanding that falls apart and then they come back together at the end. And it usually, honestly, I think this is one of the funniest things about it. It's usually just a quick kiss at the end, even though they're going off to get married or something. And you never see them in anything more intimate. I'll say that for sure. Well, speaking of twisting, I'm hearing two things. One, you'd like a little more twisted sexual behavior in these movies. In these <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not cable. Even though it shows on cable, there's no cable aspect to this. I don't think they ever even swear in these movies. But number two, have you cried at all of these? I probably haven't cried at any of them, to tell you the truth. What? How hard of a heart do you have? I'm not much of a crier. I'm more of a, wow, look at that. (laughs) They got to that ending again. Carl, we found out about this, you know, secret shame of yours. You had recommended these films to Maureen Dowd. Now, has Maureen become a fan? Yeah, I think she does. Uh, I think she has been watching more Hallmark since I started talking about them. But she told me she mixes Hallmark with horror movies, which is sort of her. That's what's bookending for her. 
there's a little horror movie aspect to the Hallmark if you really start to look at it, because people get trapped in little towns where they can't escape and fantasy figures live there, you know, like Santa Claus and things like that. So you could turn Hallmark pretty much on its head pretty easily if you started really thinking too hard about it. Yeah, I feel like that's what Jordan Peele could do with it. Like, there's- Yes, that would be a great, great Hallmark movie. Yeah. Get out in time for Christmas. <laughs> I love it. Do you think there's anyone in Congress, or better yet, have you identified any, like, just in your own... Oh, you know, you never know. But Mitch McConnell and I, we bonded over this. Is there anyone else? I don't think so. You've never volunteered and like maybe started a little watch. I'll ask, you know, the next. Have a viewing group. It might be the way to get some bipartisanship going. I mean, Mitch McConnell oddly can be emotional about some things, but I don't remember Hallmark movies ever coming up with him. Maybe like Hallmark judicial confirmation fights, (laughs) something like that, you know. The inside story. A young, a young law professor from Indiana comes to the big, yeah, something like that. I like it. Yeah, see? I can't remember talking about any Hallmark movies with members of Congress. Not that I would be afraid to, but, you know, just not something that happens. Okay, I just want to see you invite AOC over for a viewing party. <laughs> you could, well, I mean, that's a, you could make a Hallmark movie about her career. Right. And throw in some holiday stuff, you know, bartender ends up in Congress sort of thing. That's 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 sort of a hallmarky hallmarky thing. Once you look at the world through the, that prism, everything becomes a hallmark movie. It's all just one big snow globe. <laughs> Shake it up. Well, Michael, it's been a treat. I'm feeling less grinchy, actually, as we conclude this episode. Once again, Morning Meeting has lifted me up. It's just like a Hallmark movie. See, you've come out the other side, you know? Totally. And I also did uh, eat a protein bar while we were talking to Carl. Sorry. Did it have like little Christmas sprinkles on it and some streusel? Oh, I wish. What's making you happy right now? So I did finish the first season of The Queen's Gambit. I hope it's not the only season. I loved everything about this, even chess, which I once tried to learn and failed at miserably. But we have a fun piece in the issue about um, how Bess Harmon's doe-eyed gaze is sort of reminiscent of Eve Babbitt. It says, naked match with Duchamp. And if you're not familiar with this image of a naked Eve playing with Marcel Duchamp, it's classic. And we have it in the issue, and it's just a very funny kind of, you know, taking a look back at the game. Eve Babbitt, who was, I think, like 19 when she posed for that photograph. Speaking of sort of things from the past, uh, we've got a book review this week, which reminded me of something actually... Do you know where you were on December 8th, 1980? You were too young, I bet. December 8th, 1980? Mm-hmm. In utero, my friend, maybe. I was born in 81. Wow. Sorry. Okay. I was up doing my homework Ooh. in my bedroom in Chicago. It was late at night. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I had my little clock radio on, tuned to WLUP, and the DJ broke in and announced that it was 40 years. This was 40 years ago on December 8th, Tuesday. But he announced that John Lennon had just been shot and killed in New York City. Wow. Which I couldn't, I couldn't even believe. I was sort of thinking about that the other day. And, and so we, we've got this book review this week of this book, uh, The Search for John Lennon, The Life, Loves, and Death of a Rock Star, which made me think of that. And um, yeah, I mean, small fact, you may not know this, but you know how many people found out that John Lennon had been shot and killed? No, how? It was, it was a Monday night. They were watching Monday Night Football and Howard Cosell in the middle of the, the football 
broadcast between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots broke the news. And so that's the way many people found out. But anyway, 40 years ago on Tuesday, there you go. Fascinating. Who knew? Michael, for God's sakes, please put me out of my misery. Read us out. Morning Meeting is produced by Airmail Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly, and you can find Ashley and myself on Instagram as well. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe to Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, thanks again for joining us.